The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, welcome. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each show, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work, into the work environment itself through visual devices, how to install the language of our current operational system into the places that we work, the location that we work. When we do, we make that location very specific and concrete through visual devices and clusters of visual devices called visual mini systems so that we can literally see how we think and we can watch how our thinking performs, how our thinking through devices functions. We've captured it. And why do we bother? We bother for the really impressive bottom line benefits in terms of improved safety, better quality, more aligned delivery time, shrinking cost. It doesn't matter the setting. You can be in a hospital, an office, a factory, an open pit mine. We always see a 15% increase in productivity. We often see much, much more, sometimes 34% in one particular group, an engineering group in Australia. So we do it for the bottom line benefits. We do it for the cultural alignment, the splendid alignment that happens when we are speaking the same improvement language, and that language is the workplace, the visual workplace. What happens is that when the struggle disappears because we embed information into the living landscape of work through devices, we become spirited and engaged and aligned on all levels, not just operations, but also management and the boardroom. And you know, the third reason that we implement the visual workplace, it's so we can enjoy ourselves at work. We can come to to work and actually say, I had a great day, or I'm going to have a great day. I already know I'm going to have a great day because the workplace speaks to me. The workplace is my partner, and I've made it so. I've infused it with information, so I always have what I need when I need it, in the form that I need it, and others around me have done the same thing. We have a workplace that speaks. So that's what we do here at the Visual Workplace. We talk about that, and we're going to be talking about that today as part of our ongoing series. This is the fourth of our series on the invisible enemy, and I have, a, a, I think, a really great 
and somewhat dramatic story to share with you today of something that happened to me, me and some pink powder. So let me just make a couple of announcements to remind you to please go to our works, our website, visualworkplace.com. Please go to our website and look at all of the things that are there to support you on your journey to visuality. Some of them you can buy. Yes, you can buy our training systems. You can buy me. I can come out and deliver um, briefings and management uh, assessments and site assessments and seminars and workshops and training of trainers. Of course, we do that. But you can also get a lot of free support. We have a wonderful, completely searchable podcast library, also a library on articles that's completely searchable. You can search by tagline. You can search by subject matter or title if you know it. We also have a set of video clips that are in our video gallery on the homepage that you can watch that will give you a chance to see visuality in action. And you can show this to your teams as well. These are free resources. (laughs) So we hope that you become a member because when you become a member, you get other things that are free. But there is still, you don't have to become a member. You can just visit us at visualworkplace.com. And if you want, you can buy some of my books, which I think are very, very good. So those are the announcements. (laughs) And you can find us at visualworkplace.com. So let's continue today. We are in the fourth part of our series. A couple of other things have happened in between. Hope you've listened to those shows. They've been interesting as well. But we want to continue to unfold the core components of a visual workplace so you understand it in its fullness. We're not exactly going into methodology. We're going into concepts that are very active, very practical as part of workplace visuality, or or you can call it the visual workplace. And let me mention that visual management, which is also a very popular term today, is in my book a subset of the visual workplace and workplace visuality. Visual management is not the umbrella term, but really for me, a function that is about 10 to 12 percent of the visual workplace spectrum. It's very important, very powerful. It has to do with managing, but it is not the same thing as building in performance through visuality. Visual management kind of gives you feedback on how that performance is doing in a visual format. But more about that on another show. And I recently uh, did uh, one show on visual management. You can find it in our library. Today I want to continue with our discussion about the invisible enemy and moving on to solutions, visual devices that are hidden in plain sight. So the enemy is invisible and the solution when it is made makes that enemy visible but is so elegant, these devices are so elegant and so smart that we take them from granted. They change our behavior, they direct our behavior seamlessly. We simply respond. But they are very intentionally implemented, put into place. That is the purpose of learning how to think visually. That is the purpose of the visual workplace, to build adherence into the physical landscape of work 
so we don't have to think about doing the right thing. We can only do the right thing. That's on a very high level. It's called a pokeyoke or visual guarantee level. But there are lots of gradations that are just as important, only not as embedded. This embeddedness is what you see, and I've often used this description. When you see on the side of the road, you're driving in your car, and it says, slow down, children playing. And you want to slow down. You see the sign, of course, I'm going to protect the children in the neighborhood. But sometimes we're driving and we're distracted or we're thinking about our shopping list or we're thinking about something that happened at work or we're listening to the radio and we're just kind of caught up and we don't see the sign. The sign becomes ineffective because we simply don't encounter it. But the danger is still there. There are still children playing. What can we do to make sure that the driver, whatever his intention is to the contrary, or whatever condition of driving is in, that we still get the response, we get the behavioral response, that the person is going to slow down. So we translate that sign, which has very low power, that visual indicator, we say, into a visual control, or in some cases, a pokeyoke. And in this case, it would be translated into, kaboom, a speed bump. The speed bump slows me down. The speed bump slows me down seamlessly. I don't say, oh, look at that visual device with information that's embedded in such a way that it actually changes my physical behavior. Not at all. I just slow down. So it's interesting that the enemy is invisible and the solution which gets rid of the enemy entirely is also elegantly hidden, but this time by intention. It becomes part of the process itself. That's what we're looking for in visuality. Not dozens of such devices, not even hundreds, but thousands. The result of a workforce that knows how to think visually. The result of a workforce that knows that motion is the footprint of the invisible enemy. Moving without working is the footprint. Struggle is the footprint of the invisible enemy. And the enemy is information deficits. And we get rid of the information deficits through visual solutions. And as soon as we do, the motion disappears. Definition of visual thinking. Your ability and mine to identify the footprint, to see the footprint motion, and the enemy who left it there, information deficits, and to get rid of both through solutions that are visual. That's visual thinking. So I want to tell you the story of where this began for me personally, and it began in 1985. It's so interesting my first encounter with visuality, and I didn't know it. I just encountered something. I was taking a study mission to Japan. It was the first study mission I took to Japan in 1985. I went very reluctantly. My boss, Norman Bodek, was an entrepreneur, and that's just, for me, another word for can be a bully if he wants something really bad. And he kind of bullied me into going to Japan, I didn't mind going to Japan, but what I did mind was leading a study mission into and across a country I had never been to before. And you may not know this, although I talk about it from time to time. My background 
was not strong in manufacturing. I used to be a Latin teacher in northern New Jersey. And then I was an actor in New York. <laughs> and then I was a token Caucasian waitress in a local Chinese uh, restaurant. It was called the Chinese Dragon. And the ladies there, because I was the only non-Chinese person working there, they liked to give me a run for my money and they would <laughs> they would steal my my uh what are those called those chinese rolls my egg rolls you have to ch- serve the egg roll before you serve the main meal and i would fry up my egg rolls and go to get them they'd be gone go to get them they'd be gone go to get them they'd be gone <laughs> till i realized that this was an initiation i had a lot of jobs None of them in factories. My mom worked in a factory, but I never met her there. I was always waiting on the outside. And there I was, leading a study mission to legendary Japanese factories, Toyota first amongst them, and leading a group of executives from Dana. Roger Harnersweger, the head of Dana University, was had had organized this trip, and we were leading them there. Well, I tried to stay open, as you can, that's all you can do, stay open and not too tense when you're in a situation that is so brand new. And the responsibility was heavy on me, but the people I was traveling with were really smart. I watched them. (laughs) And so we found ourselves in a Toyota plant. This was a final assembly plant right outside of Tokyo, and I was learning a lot, moving around, getting a feel for it, for the Japanese and for Japanese plants. I had been to a number of American plants by then. I'd been two years into the company, Productivity Inc., Norman's company, and I found myself standing by a final assembly line where they were putting on the tires. And the tension mounts. And I will go on with my story after this, our first break. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio 
at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn, and you are coming back to the second part of our show today. And I'm calling this show The Pink Powder Show because it's all about what I discovered when I saw pink powder in Japan. And I'm right at the point of telling you that moment when it happened. And there I was, leading a study mission to legendary Japanese plants, Toyota first amongst them, with very, very, very fresh eyes. I was a newbie. And the thing that happened next on the trip when we went to this final assembly plant, that thing that happened is still playing itself out in my own encounter with visual workplace thinking. At that time, in 1985, the field had no name. There was no logic, no principles, no methodology, no concept that this was an improvement technology. It's just that the Japanese are a very visual group of people, society, and they automatically went to visual, but they never codified it. They never put Kanban and borders and addresses or color coding under the same roof, kind of making it part of the same net of thinking. But that's what I ended up doing. That's why I'm talking to you today, because this is a system of knowledge and know-how that has the kinds of layers you have to have for a strategic improvement methodology, which it is. Nine different levels of courses and this logic that I'm presenting to you. So, there we were, touring, final assembly, and I was watching two operators. One on each side of the the car, the chassis, putting on lug nuts with their impact wrench. And the chassis, the unit, sat on a moving line, what's called an index line. That was electronically, the impact wrenches were electronically connected to the line itself. And the line would only move when each operator had appropriately, correctly torqued five lug nuts on each of two wheels on both sides of the car. They were working in parallel and they each had five lug nuts on one wheel and on the second wheel when they were each done with that, the line would automatically move and index lined. Hmm? Quality assurance in action in case you forgot something or did it improperly, the line wouldn't move. And as I watched, I saw a strange thing. The operator closest to me, and actually the only one in my line of sight, would tighten the lug nuts and then as the line indexed, which it did without a hitch while I was watching, the line indexed, he put his impact wrench in a strange location. He put it in a bucket of bright pink powder, bright pink, phosphorescent pink. How curious, I thought, how curious. I also noticed, because I stuck around, once I noticed the pink powder, I stuck around for another cycle, and I noticed the pink powder was leaving a trace on the lug nuts. Well, why? Why would he do that? And I thought, well, you know, I guess it'll wash off when they do a final wash, but why would he even bother to do it if it was going to be washed off? It's not as though it's there to do anything. 
Each time the operator finished in the line index, he put his impact wrench back into the pink powder bucket. And I just sat and stood there and, and watched. And then, and then it hit me. Or should I say, and then the heavens opened and I heard a chorus of angels and saw the flapping of their wings. It hit me big time. It was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I realized two things. And take a moment right now while you're listening to me. If I've done a good job, you can also see that index line and you can see that impact wrench and that operator who's bending over, torquing the five lug nuts. And you can see as he finishes the second one, the line move as he puts his wrench into the pink powder. And what hits you? Why is he doing it? Why? Is it silliness? Is it personal preference? Or does it have a purpose? A performance purpose? Why? Well, there are two reasons. The first one's pretty easy. The second one is more subtle. So let's see if my thinking matches your thinking. First of all, his use of the pink powder was intentional and brilliant because it gave him a surefire way to know all by himself that he had tightened all five lug nuts, tire by tire. He could just look. There it was, at a glance, the evidence, pink powder on each of the lug nuts, on each of the tires. Didn't have to think about, did I, did I, did I do it or didn't I do it? He did it. The evidence was there. The trace was left. The second realization, which actually came several years later, I'm a slow thinker, but it was like, holy cow, there's a second reason. You probably have this one already. The second realization was the powder allowed the operator to instantly, reliably, and repeatedly know at a glance if he had missed one. The line doesn't index. Both operators know something was missed. And they can see, ah, it's okay, Jose, or it's okay, uh, Ryuji. It's on my side. And I can see the lug nut that doesn't have the pink powder. And I know, oh, this is the one I missed. Maybe I sneezed. Maybe I just turned away. Maybe I simply forgot and then forgot that I forgot. But the fact of the matter is I instantly can make a self-correction. There's no need to track it. There's no need to do any kind of final inspection because I am doing the inspection myself in process. I have set up the lug nuts. And I don't know whether or not this gentleman invented it or the guy on the other side or someone who's or, or who had already had retired. I don't know that. But somebody invented it. And I would bet you dollars to donuts it was somebody on the line somebody on the line who was fed up with missing it fed up with getting a kpi that said one of the lug nuts were was loose and he's thinking why didn't i find that out myself and he i'll bet was determined and maybe he was at home making a pizza or making something that the japanese make with flour and noticed the flour flour leaving its traces 
And because he, he was seeking an answer to something that either embarrassed him or annoyed him, he found it. He realized he could use powder. He just needs to have a color, brighter color than white that would help him do the right thing. This, is, this was the doorway to visuality for me. It was astonishing. The way I said it to myself, I remember the moment so vividly. The powder was talking to him. Each lug nut was sharing vital information with him. Each lug nut became, in a manner of speaking, the operator's temporary supervisor. They were partnering the process together. The lug nut was giving the operator immediate feedback on his performance, alerting him to quality issues, and helping him do the very thing he wanted to do, the right thing. The implications were enormous then. They're even bigger now when I think about it. Then I couldn't wrap my entire mind around it. But I spent the last 35 years discovering the more of what was there, discovering this hidden in plain sight visuality that actually embeds performance and allows us to do that thing that we want to do when we come to, to work, the right thing on time and safely. Watch, think, express, define, articulate, codify. It all started with this pink powder, codify the visual workplace. Think about it, and that's what you're doing in a visual workplace. And it's one of the reasons why it is almost impossible, and no, I want to say it more strongly, it is impossible to decide in advance what the deep performance visual devices will be. You have to learn how to think visually and then watch your motion, because that is learning how to think visually. You begin to see not the struggle, but the information deficits that cause the struggle. That flip in your thinking, it's called inverse thinking. You see what's not there and understand that that's causing your behavior. Your behavior is coping behavior, compensating behavior, adaptive behavior, but it is in re- it's in response to cause. This is when the visual workplace becomes so exciting, not just for you, but for the people who are thinking like that also alongside of you. Whether they are operator, supervisor, or CEO, a field rep, an engineer, an office employee, we are in the business of work, and the glue of work is information. It is like the water in a tank for fish or the air in this room for me. Information is your business. All business is about translating information into an outcome. And right in between, the information and the outcome is human behavior and machine behavior. Translating vital information into behavior in order to get the predetermined outcome. In most plants, that translation of information into behavior happens through training people, putting instructions in binders, meeting with people, tracking them with KPIs, tracking them PDCA, 
monitoring performance, but stop. Instead of all of that, do just one thing, create visual devices. Visual devices will hold the information. They are your insurance that the right thing happens repeatedly and reliably from veterans, yes, but also from newcomers. It is, visuality is a gigantic adherence device. And you know, it came clattering down, clattering down when I experienced this moment of pink powder. This is where you get a 15 to 30% increase in productivity. People learn how to think this way. There's methodology for this. So when we come back, we're going into our second break now. I want to talk to you about what I call the two primes. They are two principles that are core to visuality that came out of this experience and that I think you'll find useful in terms of your understanding how visuality works both how simple it is, but also so how elegant. It's a very elegant formulation. I will see you in a moment. I'll be here when you get back. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is the third segment of our show today at The Visual Workplace, and I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host, and I'm telling you a story that happened to me 35, de- I was going to say 35 decades ago, is actually 35 years ago, that really triggered an understanding of visuality for me, and I've been playing out that moment ever since. It was that inspirational moment, the epiphany that said, wowzer. This is something that is useful, and I need to know more. I need to know more. And so I've spent this time discovering more and sharing it with you, as I've been doing here on the radio show. We're in our sixth year, as you know. The visual workplace and I, the visual workplace and you, such a perfect relationship. In visuality, we see and we understand and we act in alignment. We do that in the community, 
when we're on the road systems or when we go to a movie or when we go shopping, visuality surrounds us and we are in relationship to it and we respond appropriately, safely, smoothly. We get whatever job done we need to get done in the community. And the same thing happens at work in a visual workplace. We see it, we understand, and we act. And we act with confidence. We get it right the first time because it's built in that way. Work happens without struggle. It flows. Like the pull systems that visuality supports, a visual workplace creates pull between itself and us, the user, the human user. We pull information to us when and as we need it because in a visual workplace, it is in the place that we call close to or at the point of use because we determined it so. We designed the workplace to do that. We turn needed information into visual devices and visual systems. We gave our work area the voice with which it can now speak to us. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And if we moved on, we left that legacy for someone else. But even in a highly visual plant, newcomers learned how to think visually because they both have to appreciate the legacy, but also they'll discover things themselves. They'll learn to examine their own motion and they will contribute to the improvement journey and to the library of visual devices, if you will. So, I want to talk to you about the two primes. I think I've already made the point pretty strongly that visuality is principle-based. It is a principle-based language. It is the language of your production. And when I, this, this came directly out of pink powder, the two primes have to do with two abiding principles in visuality that underpin all visuality, no matter what the work setting is, and even when we are where no work happens, for example, at the movie or a boxing match, these primes are in place. And here are the two primes. The first prime is, that means the prime principle, (laughs) the prime mover. The first prime principle is this, to tell merely by looking. And this is illustrated in our pink powder because the operator was able to tell merely by looking that he had torqued each of the five lug nuts. He could tell immediately just by looking. He had made it so. Pink powder residue on a lug nut told the operator He's applied his impact wrench. But something else was there. And it's called prime two. Prime principle two. And it is it is this. It is to tell the difference merely by looking. The first is to tell merely by looking. That's prime one, prime two. And it's hugely different to tell the difference merely by looking. Prime two to tell the difference merely by looking, provides more information, more meaning, and is actionable in a much fuller way. The same operator can tell, all by himself and instantly, no need for KPIs, which lug nut he had overlooked if the line did not index. The workplace is speaking to him. And as a result, he 
responds independently. He makes his own decision. He responds immediately. He's self-sufficient. He self-corrects. The two primes. There are lots and lots of principles associated with visuality, just with smart placement, which is a subset of visuality on the very beginning edge, if you will, on the edge of visual wear, or if you will, 5S. We have 14 principles of smart placement. How to locate the things of the workplace so that they support instead of block flow. And there are 14 principles of that. But these two primes jump right over all of them, therefore the whole paradigm. I want to give you another example of the two primes so you can see both how simple they are, this, these, the exercise of these two principles, but also how powerful. Let's talk about something as simple that we five and fi find in 5S. We're not making any kind of process change or conversion the way we did with putting the lug nuts on a car. We're just seeking the right, shall we say, medicine. Let's be in a pharmacy. We're in a pharmacy, and God forbid somebody has um, cancer, and the technician comes to get a particular kind of chemotherapy, chemo medicine, chemo solution. And the shelves are beautifully organized, very clean, very neat. And he's looking for something called cisplatin. And he sees it. Ah, cisplatin. There it is. I better, uh, I, I, I can pick this up with confidence. It's just a black address, black letters on a white background. So he can tell merely by looking. But there's a problem. And there is a problem in chemotherapy medicine. There's a lot of them, and usually just one part of the name changes. So you might get the plantain, but you won't get the cis. So if you're paying attention to it, it's some medicine that ends in platin, you could pick the wrong medicine, and that could be a lot of trouble, a lot of hurt. And in this particular pharmacy, which was Cancer Institutes of America up in uh, Michigan, the pharmacist was learning about visuality. She was a smart, smart woman and full of creativity and eagerness because she recognizes that she herself could make a mistake like that. So in her mind's eye, she said, if I can, other people can as well. Let me help them. So she made a change in the address. She made two major changes. Actually, I'll name it as three. Three major changes to the cisplatin address because she knew about transplatin, which is its own kind of chemo drug, drug with its own counterindications. She's thinking transplatin. She's looking at cisplatin. She said, what can I do to distinguish the two? And she did some things that you would think of, but then she did some more things. First thing she did was she made... And she was exercising prime two to tell the difference, not just to tell by looking, cisplatin address, but to tell the difference by looking between cisplatin and transplatin at a glance instantly. She made the first three letters of cisplatin large, twice, I would say three times as large as the platin part. I'm looking at it right now. 
transplatin. She took the trans, she left the platin alone and made those big. That's the first thing she did. So immediately she has applied the principle to tell the difference merely by looking because it's the difference that mattered here. In a complex situation, you don't have one thing. You have 10 of one thing. And where the stakes are high, like in a pharmacy, man, you can't make a mistake. You can't rely on people's integrity, their character, their emotional state, their training to make the right choice. You have to make the right choice as part of the physical landscape of work, and then the human has a chance to do the right thing. We have to help the humans. We lead very complex lives, and there's a lot competing for our attention. So she makes it large, and then she makes it bright, bright green. That's the second thing she does. All of the letters before the word platen are bright, bright green. Huge and bright, bright green. And then she does a third thing. She puts a great big red button on these particular containers that hold the medicine. And it says on it, name alert. Big letters, name alert. So in three ways, she's saying, pay attention. Mistakes have been made. We can prevent it this time by your seeing and appreciating the visual guidance we're giving you so that this never happens again. So we have three efforts to guide human behavior so that we can see the difference merely by looking. You know, we can certainly get our other senses involved in visuality because visuality is actually a sensory system. But we are sight dominant. We know that if 50% of our, and it is true, 50% of our brain function is seeking and interpreting visual data. And I want to say that's an involuntary system. The part of the complaint that many people or many um, genius people say, we're only using 10% of our brain. That's the voluntary part. That's the learning part. But there's a whole other part of our brain that's involuntary. 50% of that involuntary system is scanning for visual data that's dominant. But our other senses are very important avenues or conduits for information, tactile, touch, hearing, taste, Hmm? sight as well. I've forgotten one, smell. Did I say smell? All of that helps. We put sulfur in gas, which is no odor, no visibility, no tactile, presence at all. We put stinky stuff in there so that the gas smells and we don't lose a family because someone forgot to turn off the gas. So that's a a smell olfactory um, message, but we get the message and our behavior changes. So we're going to wrap this section up. I hope you got in your mind's eye this picture of the transplatin and the cisplatin holders for this chemotherapy information, uh, sorry, uh, solution, and that you see how important that is as we build our visual vocabulary. I'll be back in a moment when you get back.
Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth at The Visual Workplace, and you're in our final segment of our show today here at The Visual Workplace, and we're talking about pink powder and the two primes. We're talking about what are the fundamentals, the the fundamental knowledge base of workplace visuality. We're not even talking about information deficits or motion. We're talking about the power of the two principles of to tell merely by looking, prime one, and prime two, to tell the difference merely by looking. And this is a long, long road from the start of the journey, which was that moment with pink powder in that Toyota final assembly plant, to tell merely by looking, to tell the difference merely by looking. Because in a way, I want to shift us away from this idea of copycatting other people's visuals, whether you've seen them in a book or in a factory. I want to encourage you to create your own local visual devices that serve your purposes precisely. Pink powder may not have any application in your plant. It just may not. But the principles do because that's what happened with the the man who invented that. He had the, the principle of to tell merely by looking and to tell the difference merely by looking. And he started there for that local example. What's your local example that you're trying to crack the code on? You have a strong knowledge base right now because you're already a visual dominant human being. That's the way your brain function works. In workplace visuality, we translate vital workplace information into visual devices. And those devices ensure that our behavior is exact safe, timely, and correct. Through them, we embed the intelligence that is our operational system into the living landscape of work. We embed that information into the field of value where work happens. Visuality is about meaning and understanding, not just about seeing. So what you experience matters. Move away from cookie-cutter visuality, 
which will have some impact but very limited and not be that interesting, when you put them in place, there's very little opportunity to figure out how to go further unless you learn the system of thinking. This is like somebody handing you the fish. Remember from the Bible, show me how to fish. That's a real gift. You can give me fish now, but in the morning I want you to show me how I can do it myself. That's what visual thinking is. The visual workplace embeds meaning into the dynamic landscape of work. It embeds language. It is physical communication, the physicality of the devices. Move away from the notion of visuality as a useful but inanimate collection of visual work aids and move towards instead a paradigm that visuality is the language of performance and I'm learning how to speak it. I want to increase my vocabulary. I want to be able to put sentences together and write a book that's called visuality in my work area. I want to move to a poetic level. I want to do something, create visual devices that are extraordinarily precise for my area. Brought to an even more complete level, visuality is the language of your operational excellence, even if you're not quite as excellent as you want to be or will be. All that is broadcast clearly through this language, this vocabulary, operational vocabulary that you have in action. We see your business model when we see your visual devices. We began this series, and this is the last episode in the series of four, with the four workplace conditions, the difference between problems in adherence, communication, and problems in not having the right method. We went to the invisible enemy and we talked about how the enemy is there, big as Godzilla, but we can't see him, we can only see his footprint motion. And then we talked about ways to find that motion through pedometers, through stopwatches, through our memo pads, through watching our questions that we could track it down, whether we were a CEO, a supervisor, or an operator. Didn't matter. Field staff doesn't matter. Marketing person doesn't matter. We all have the struggle of information deficits. And as we put these devices together, they become as intelligent as we are, they reflect our intelligence and they reflect our business model. I want to encourage you to build your business, anchor it in visuality so you have a stable platform because when you do, you can then build on it. Visuality is an indispensable part of your journey to operational excellence. Visual management is a subset, powerful and important, but not the umbrella. So I want to encourage you on this journey. I see it as a matter of thinking. I see the components as knowable. That's what methodology is for. You begin in a very focused area. You learn the cycle of visual thinking. You build one level. And then you see how it behaves. You see where there is still motion. You go after that with other visual devices. You make the devices more powerful. You look for ways to embed the information so that the behavior becomes automatic, just as it says, slow down children playing and kaboom, 
speed bump, I am slowing down. And all of these pieces work together. What would it be like for you if your information deficits no longer existed because you had chased them down and eradicated them through visuality? What would, what would happen to you at work? What kind of amazing change would that allow you to make in your work performance? What kind of an amazing change would it allow you to experience on the inside, to have that confidence and relief? And what would you do with the extra time when you weren't worrying, second-guessing yourself? What would it be like? What would it be like for you? What would it be like for your company if everyone did that? What new competencies, new resources would surface when the struggle was gone from work and you had a workplace that speaks. I asked that question. That's Gwendolyn's question. What would it be like? And you know it would be entirely worth it. I had a great time with you today. I will see you the next time. I say, let the workplace speak. And I also say, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.